Calling all benders and non-benders alike. Jump into the epic world of Avatar with your favorite podcast, Avatar Braving the Elements. Hosted by me, Janet Varney. And me, Dante Bosco. Each week we'll recap and discuss a new episode. So come join us and our amazing guests from creators to cast to superfans to chat about all things Avatarverse. It's Fire Nation time. Book of Fire. Let's go. Listen to Avatar Braving the Elements on Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your podcasts. What can I get for you? Handsome? We're doomed! I'm going to need you to bring me one of everything on the menu. Excellent choice, my darling. Coming right up! Welcome to SpongeBob Binge Pants, Nickelodeon's official podcast about all things SpongeBob. I'm Hector Navarro. And I'm Frankie Grande. On today's episode of SpongeBob Binge Pants, another member of the SpongeBob Royalty Club, we're talking to a writer and a storyboard artist and illustrator, a story editor, who has worked on SpongeBob SquarePants beginning in season three with one of the best episodes, The Nasty Patty, (laughs) and has contributed so much to the show. All of the favorite GIFs and memes that you use, they came from Kaz. That's who we're talking to today. So, so excited. Yeah, and I can't wait to talk to him about just the evolution of, you know, what it was, what it's been like to work on SpongeBob season three and now get to create, like, literally be the person that is shaping the future of SpongeBob with the Patrick Star Show and also writing the pilot episode of Camp Coral. So let's get into it with the unbelievably talented Wackadoo Kaz. You have written some of my favorite, favorite Spongebob episodes. I was just rewatching Nasty Patty uh, last mm. night. You get to go into the dark places that I just find so enjoyable on the show. Was that something that you wanted to bring to the show? Yeah, that's the very first episode uh, I co-wrote and uh, co-storyboarded uh, back when we were doing board shows. The reason why I even wound up on Spongebob is because I had a comic strip and uh, Steve uh, and Derek Dryman were fans. And it was running in the LA Weekly. So when they were looking for board writers, they decided, why don't we ask this guy? You know, and I remember Steve saying to Derek that, you know, he lives in New York City. I don't think he's going to come out for this. And then Derek said, well, you know, he's an underground cartoonist. He's probably broke, so he'll be here. And that was really true. (laughs) I was a giant fan of SpongeBob. I was taping SpongeBob's when people would come over. This was the first season. People would come over. I would play it for them all the time. Wow. And so when I got a call out of the blue, would you like to come and write for SpongeBob? I nearly fainted. Wow. I got that call in 2000. I went out in 2001, I believe in January. And yes, the very first story that they handed me an outline for was The Nasty Patty. And I could see why, because my comic strip was extremely dark. I mean, it was kind of wacky in many different ways, but boy, do, do I like dark humor. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe we ought to tell our guy about the phony imposter. You loony loofa, he is the imposter. We've been duped. Duped. Bamboozled. We've been speckledorfed. That's not even a word, and I agree with you. Look at him. I bet he never changes his underpants. I bet he bites whale bubbles. I bet his mom bought him that hat. Are you the first person who got to work on the show who was a fan of the show before working on the show? Like, coming in in season three, was there, was, was there already people that were being hired and they, like you, were taping the shows? They were obsessed with the show? Like, were you the first sort of hired fan? Uh, I'm not sure. Uh, I know that they hired uh, Sam Henderson uh, a couple months before me, 
and and Sam was from New York too. Yeah, and I'm I'm not sure how obsessed he was with SpongeBob at the time, but uh, so we both <laughs> we both started. That was season three, uh, and like I said, season one was mm-hmm. ready on the air, and by the time I was working and doing those new stories, season two came, and it, that's when SpongeBob started like blowing up, and uh, they started with the merchandising. Yeah. There weren't a, wasn't a lot of merchandising yet, and so Steve's office was next to mine, and sometimes he'd show us like the boxer shorts and things like that that they would put in the SpongeBob on. <laughs> Uh, and then it just, and then when I left SpongeBob, it blew up like crazy, you know, with the movie and everything. I moved back to New York. I worked on some other kind of shows. Uh, then I was asked to come back to write for the show uh, in 2015. And every show that I worked on, I would always say, "Man, I wish this was SpongeBob. I wish this was SpongeBob because that, that humor really aligns with who I am, and you know that sort of wackiness." mentioned that you were working on underground comics you're in new york city you're broke uh what would what would you say is the connective thread between what you were doing with your comics and being able to transfer that to spongebob like the sense of humor like the sensibility obviously you can't get too dark with spongebob but like what, what would you say was the thing that that made steven and Derek and these guys go we got to call this guy out of the blue i think i think it was because um, even though a lot of my gags were dark, uh, I, I did a lot of other things too. I would do things that are just purely silly. I wrote a, a silly little poems here and there. And uh, I think huh. what's important, I think, for Steve was he saw that I knew how to construct a joke, like from scratch, set up, punchline and, and all that kind of thing. But there was one specific, one specific comic strip that he always brought up. Uh, and in this particular comic strip, I have this sort of like, you know, a woodsman guy, and he kills a squirrel, you know, and uh, as a joke at the end, right? <laughs> and Steve had an incident with a squirrel that got into his garage, and he felt really bad about it. And so, yeah, I know, <laughs> Flash. Uh, and so, he always brought up that comic strip to me. He goes, oh, yeah, this is a comic strip, Mike. And, of course, he felt really bad about it, but he, but he saw the dark humor in my comic. Wow. Hector and I were actually talking about it earlier and being like, why a squirrel under... The water. Maybe this is part of the puzzle. Like we were like out of any Terranian creature that he could have mm-hmm. put underwater, he chose a squirrel and why? And maybe it's because of his incident in the garage. And I think it's that he has had this guilt yeah. over this squirrel. <laughs> I would say that the other influence was probably that little squirrel on the skis. I don't know if you ever saw that little piece of video uh, that went around for quite a yeah. while. Yes. It's a water skiing squirrel. It was always like the nightly news. That's what they would always end on because the news was so depressing (laughs) that they would always try to end with like, and now a feel good story. You have to see this, you know, over in Florida or whatever. We've got footage from a water skiing squirrel. And then that's how they would end their nightly news broadcast. I have a question for Kaz. So you were talking about just the um, coming from comics and going to cartoons and your ability to construct a joke. Did it, did any of that have to change or evolve? I would say that there was a, there was um, a, a little bit of an adjustment period. Uh, it was so 
uh, it's so close to drawing comics and comic books, but there's certain things about storyboards that you would have to know. If a character leaves in one direction, the next scene, he can't be facing the other direction. In a comic strip, you can do all that because the word balloons and the stems are pointing to you to know which character. And so there were like, there are little little things like that, and I learned along the way, and maybe I haven't really learned this lesson that well. Um, the the kind of jokes and gags and di- and dialogue I can write sometimes for a kid show is not appropriate, you know. But uh, what, for me, I, and actually, I get this <laughs> I get this question a lot that people ask me, like you know, with your sensibility, how is it that you could write for a kid show? Uh, I have been doing a kid's comic strip for Nickelodeon magazine. All I do is I think of like, what did I like when I was a kid? I wasn't, I wasn't a dark punk rocking kid. I was, you know, I loved cartoons and comic books and all that. And so I'm always thinking along those lines, you know, uh, any joke can be made sillier and funnier and, you know, more squash and stretchier. That's not a word, squash and stretchier, but yes. Do you have a temperature checker? Like, do you like have someone in your life that you're like, is this too, like even before you walk into the office or is there somebody at the office that's like, you can't write this? <laughs> uh, well, they will, they'll, they will let you know right away. I think because the show is so visual, sometimes we're kind of violent with the characters. Like I say, we squash and stretch them. You know, they snap right back in the next scene. So that's not a problem. <laughs> it's not as hard as people think uh, to, to switch gears. If you're an artist, if you're a writer, you're switching gears all the time. Mr. Krabs, what are we going to do? What's this wee stuff? You fit in the tainted patty. Looks like it's the stony lonesome for you. But you told me to give it to him. Well, you could have talked me out of it. You're right, Mr. Krabs. I'm guilty. I'll never survive in prison. Come up off the floor with me. Get a hold of yourself, boy. We have talked to folks who've worked on the show, and what I love learning is what every person is really proud that they've contributed to the SpongeBob world. What is something that you're really proud that uh, Kaz has contributed to the SpongeBob world? Oh my world? God. Uh, I got it. <laughs> it's very funny. I, and, and I hear this all the time from people, but uh, there was, a, the, I believe the third episode that I worked on was called Chocolate with Nuts. And there's a mother daughter <laughs> team in that uh, when SpongeBob and Patrick get to the door, to their door to sell them chocolate bars and and this couple is right out of you know whatever happened to baby jane it was like so fun to write these characters so yes almost like a southern (laughs) southern gothic play or something (laughs) mom what what what's all that yelling you just can't wait for me to die can you they're selling chocolate chocolate yeah what? What are they selling? Chocolate! What? Chocolate! I can't hear you! They're selling chocolate! They're selling chocolate? Yeah! Chocolate. I remember when they first invented chocolate. Sweet, sweet chocolate. I always hated it. And just a couple years ago, there was an episode called SpongeBob in Random Land. Yes. Where they go to this wacky, surrealist neighborhood. Well, that's all my artwork. That's all my designs. All, all those characters in Random Land and all those crazy, wild backgrounds. And I'm even in it. <laughs> I love those episodes so much when we can have to completely depart from reality. I mean, this is a, a good enough time as any to just talk about the fact that you worked on the pilot for The Patrick Show. Because to me, yes. that also seems like SpongeBob in Random Land in certain areas you know it's just like it goes everywhere and it, it was such a 
wonderful introduction to like what we were going to get in the show. What was it like to work on like to be there from the ground up for a brand new show? Yeah, it was so much fun. I mean, just the conversations that we had and the fact that um Mark and Vince wanted the show to be like, like really freewheeling, like almost anything goes in it. You know, we do have, we do have a story thread that runs through it, but within that story thread, we could go into so many different wackadoodle places, you know? Uh, so it was really fun. And I wanted to, in that pilot, I wanted, really wanted to touch upon introducing all those little elements that, you know, that we can play with on, on the show. Because we talk about Patrick and we talk about, you know, his, his own brain. Now, obviously the, the thing we play with the most is that he's like super, super dumb. But at the same time, he's got <laughs> at the same time he's got this wonderful imagination, you know, because he because his brain I guess bounces around in his skull. It can go in many different directions. Uh, so yeah, it was super fun to, to be working on that um, to do to do a show, you know, which I would call the show Screwball Style. Today on The Patrick Show, you'll be watching me watch cartoons. And now, stay tuned for our six-hour marathon of Bowling for Clowns! Kaz, I would love to ask to kind of go back to comparing your earlier time on the show versus where you guys are now. You mentioned how like when you got brought onto the show, season three, 2001, it was a board driven show. And now the SpongeBob shows are script driven. So in terms of what did that, what did that mean for you as a writer, for you as a storyboard artist? Like what's the sort of difference between the two so we can talk about it to our audience and also kind of what did it mean for you in terms of how you would write these stories? Storyboarding, uh, it takes a lot of time. It's, you know, <laughs> there's, there's a lot of drawings, a lot of back and forth. And I just found because I have that visual sense and actually the, the guys who write on SpongeBob are almost all ex-storyboard guys. We see the cartoon in our head. And so it, it's just a way of finding those right words. And so instead of drawing them, and actually, you know, it's kind of a relief. Like, you know, if, if I have something that takes place in a supermarket, like I don't have to draw mm -hmm. everything on the shelf. Yeah. I could just say, they walked up the supermarket aisle. Yeah. And now <laughs> I can move along. And then I can write more scripts, you know? <laughs> I, think I, I, I think I have more influence because I, I could work faster. That's why. Wow. I love it too. The I gotta say the humor hasn't changed. The humor has not changed. You know, we still do the wacky humor, right? And do you, would you say it's pretty similar to like your very first episode, like like all the way till now? I would definitely say so. Uh, you know, there are little like rules and things along the way that change because of changes in society mm -hmm. and attitudes mm -hmm. and all that. Uh, but they're just mm -hmm. they're just small things. You know, comedy. You know, keeps up with the times. Comedy is the thing that. That uh, out of all the different genres, you know, drama and action and whatever else, like comedy is the one that maybe ages the fastest because it is a direct reflection of our sensibilities and how we're kind of all feeling. And, you know, the humor is relatable, so it's got to relate to us now. But then again, SpongeBob, like Looney Tunes, like those classics, they have that great timeless humor as well, where it's not... You're not making references. It's not overloading with references. And stuff. I mean, Frank and I just rewatched the first appearance of Mermaid Man and Barnacle Boy. And like, 
that that those characters those are those are characters that are referring to superheroes and Adam West and all this great stuff. But kids don't need to know that stuff. They don't need to know who Jacques Cousteau is to 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 appreciate the the funny voices and the humor and stuff in the show. So uh, yeah, that makes sense. That makes a lot of sense. sir could we interest you in some chocolate chocolate did you say chocolate yes sir with or without nuts chocolate 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 okay the first guy didn't count i have a question for you Kaz. do you as a writer Ever use a SpongeBob GIF or meme? I see, yeah, I see them all the time. Yes, and it's very, very funny. Um, there's one I sent the other day. I can't remember w- which one it was, but it was from one of my uh, episodes. And it was a line that I wrote, you know? Oh, I got to wow. tell you, people love the show so much. A couple years ago, I, 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 I visited Lithuania for the very first time uh, in the capital of Vilnius. And they were having a, the Baltic Comic Con, I think the second or third year. Wow. And they watched SpongeBob in Lithuania like crazy. <gasps> That's and awesome. So I did a signing, and I there's a line of these kids. I mean, some of them were shaking when they came up to me, like, "So Whoa. we love SpongeBob so much," you know. It was like, "Oh, smoke!" And is it? Have you gone to any other countries where that you've had kind of that experience? Any other places that have completely surprised you? Nothing that has really surprised me. You know, I went to a festival of comics in in Spain when a, a, my, a Spanish version of my book was released. Uh, Wow. And they knew SpongeBob, but I don't think that they were as fanatical. Uh, I know Germany's huge has always been huge for SpongeBob. So, are there any character-based rules that you can't break per character, or is it is it kind of anything goes still? No, it's not anything goes uh, with, with the characters because we we want the characters to have a certain consistency, otherwise the shows don't work. And one of, one of the things that always comes up with uh, SpongeBob is if you know you can't write things that are too mean for him to say or do because he's not that kind of character at all. We're not, uh, but the wonderful thing about SpongeBob is he can have any and all emotions. Mm. I mean, we go everywhere with him. Uh, even sometimes he might have even like a dark idea here and there, you know? Um, but yeah, so with SpongeBob, it's always like, no, 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 no. Uh, Patrick can be the dark one and Patrick can get mean because he could be belligerent the way like a baby can be, you know? <laughs> yes. <laughs> We were just talking about uh, the episode of Pickles, where SpongeBob shows us that he has, you know, like um, crippling anxiety and OCD and dark thoughts of, of and perfectionism. Like, you know, it just he's uh, capable of being a human in ways that um, other cartoon characters, we never get to see that. So it's really lovely uh, to be able to relate to a character like SpongeBob in all of his many emotions that he shows us. Still no pickles! See? You failed again, SpongeBob loser pants! (laughs) Kaz, question for you. What are some of your favorite types of side characters to write for? Because you guys have so much fun writing these side characters. After 20 years, you keep seeing like these characters in the background walking around. And uh, as a writer, you just think, 
wonder what's going on with that guy over there. <laughs> I wonder what's that her story and this and that. And so Bubble Bass is so much fun to write for because he's just such a giant nerd, but he's also, you know, stubborn, belligerent, you know, all those wonderful character things. Uh, there's a character in the background. Just lately, we've been pulling this one character out that uh, he was named Elwood, and mm. he's in the camp show. And so we—I'm uh, not going to give it away, but we kept—we created a little catchphrase from him. So in the second season, <laughs> you're going to see this little character uh, pop out a little bit more and have more to say. Um, awesome. But yeah, I mean that's that's what the cool thing about the show is. You know, there are so many characters. I remember the first the first week I was working on SpongeBob. At one point, I drew you know some random fish character saying something, and I remember one of the directors coming into me with a giant sheet of all the all the different types of background characters that could be walking around and they were all numbered and he said to me he goes so this character here wh which number would they be and i looked at him and go i don't know just pick one <laughs> so many that's so but cool yes we my guess with the board guys like drawing certain characters because because the weirder looking the more fun they are to draw so yeah we pull we pull them out and we tell stories about them i mean we gave fred my leg a whole episode, a musical even. That's uh, Mr. Lawrence screaming my leg. Uh, and uh, he, uh, obviously he wrote that episode. And, you know, even though uh, he wasn't on stage in SpongeBob the Musical on Broadway, that was Mr. Lawrence's voice when we hear in the background, my leg! In, oh, one, like, <laughs> in one of the scenes. That's great. Oh, these are little tidbits. He didn't mention any of this. So we're finding yeah, out more things from him. Oh, that's wonderful. That's amazing. Um, and it makes sense, you know, because like, Bikini Bottom is probably not that big of a town. So the fact that we keep seeing the same people over and over again in the background, that makes so much sense. It's not a big city. It's not New York, you know? <laughs> I, I just want to say we keep adding more uh, buildings and things to it. So uh, who knows how big it is? I don't know. <laughs> In your expert opinion, is there a formula uh, that makes the perfect cocktail for a SpongeBob episode? Wow. Wow. That's a, that's a good question. Um, it's one of those weird things that... There's a couple things that we do. One is obviously, you know, if we think of SpongeBob as going through something, like whatever it is, some kind of an emotion, and how do we go f from the, mm. the first scene to the last scene and explore that. Mm. Uh, another mm -hmm. thing that we do is when we're stuck sometimes is we will put two characters together that have not been together uh, in uh, previous episodes. And so they could bounce off of each other, you know? What happens when Mr. Krabs and Sandy have to get together to do something? Uh, and all of a sudden, like, oh, wow, yeah, their personalities, either they click or they don't click, you know? That's the fun of it. I often like SpongeBob on his own, you know? Like, j he's just entertaining himself. Because to me, that's like a little kid playing in a room or, you know, in his backyard and, and making stuff up. Love that. We were just talking about in one of the very first episodes when SpongeBob has this massive library <laughs> in the pineapple. And it's just so funny to me, like finding like those little discovery moments where it's like, oh, what are those books that are on those shelves? Like, what is he reading? Well, you know, we talk about SpongeBob. We talk about a, a Bikini Bottom being a cargo cult idea. I mean, all the things that are in there have fallen into the ocean uh, at some point. You know, that's why, mm -hmm. you know, the houses look like tin cans oh. and this and that. So, of course, all that stuff is found. That's why we tend to go with older technologies, the kind of telephones they use. And we just recently started, you know, playing with shell phones for cell phones. Mm -hmm. um, mm -hmm. So 
we actually on SpongeBob, we wait to, to see if something becomes an evergreen kind of tried and true idea. Like you said earlier, we do not do like a, a lot of current references to pop culture, mm-hmm. but if something sticks around long enough that even a kid would get it or kind of get it, uh, mm-hmm. that's when we throw it in. Yeah. That's so fascinating. And I never thought about that either, that it's like a cargo show that you saying that and all of a sudden everything makes sense. It's like my eyes have been opened for the first time. Yeah, the ch- the chum bucket is a, is a literal bucket, right? Now I'm going to be looking at the yeah. show with different eyes and going, did somebody make a miniature version of a book yes. and drop it into the ocean and SpongeBob's collected it for his library? I love it. I love those details, man. I just got to say, I think it was a boat bookmobile that sunk and then all the books shrunk because they were in the water so they're spongebob size now that makes sense man that's brilliant that's why you've been writing on this show for as long as you have (laughs) i love it is there anything that we've inspired you to now write yes patrick and spongebob start a podcast yeah, I knew it. Excellent. <laughs> this has been so much fun, man. Thank you so much for spending some time with us today and sharing your stories. We love the episodes you've worked on. We love the shows. So thanks again, Kaz. This has been awesome. Well, thank you very much, guys. And I'm really, I really appreciate that you're doing this and you have so much enthusiasm for a show that I love so much also. Uh, and uh, oh my God, this Spongeverse is expanding. <laughs> Another great interview in the books, man. That was so much fun. And again, uh, thank you to Kaz for spending his time with us this afternoon. But like another great instance of as soon as you meet Kaz, as soon as you talk to him for a little bit, you're like, this is the perfect guy yeah. to work on this show. I'm so happy that he, that they got him. I'm so happy that they called him out of the blue in New York and got him to move to LA for a little bit and that he has come back to the show since leaving the show. And it just made me so happy to talk to him and, and feel like, yes, you are the perfect guy to work on SpongeBob. SquarePants and continue to make us laugh. I loved it. That was a great interview. Another great example of how Steven Hillenburg brought together so many incredible people. He just knew what the perfect formula needed to be and was going to be uh, to create a show that would last forever and ever, I- including beyond his time on this earth. Uh, and it's just goes to show you. I mean, he, he knew what he was doing when he hired everybody. He really did. Yeah. Yeah. And I think we did figure out the origins of Sandy Cheeks, which was so fun. (laughs) That is so funny. I think that that poor little squirrel, wherever he is up in heaven somewhere, (laughs) he's probably looking down and he's like, you know what? Sandy Cheeks is a great character. I'm so happy that I'm a part of the Sandy Cheeks <laughs> legacy and that kids all over the world love squirrels. Because of me. Because of me. Yeah. I think I'm going to go to my backyard now and I'm going to leave out some some nuts for my little backyard squirrel that comes and visits occasionally. I think that's what I'm going to do today. Me too. I'll, I will see you next week, Hector, and I will see you all next week for another episode of SpongeBob Binge Pants. Thank you so much for listening.